I'm Jamie Flinchball, host of the People Solve Problems podcast, and we've got another great guest today, Mel Zempenny, and um, you're the managing partner of uh, Dynamic Improvement Group, uh, deep operations background, uh, really focus on, you know, solving client problems and, uh, and building the right cultures in the right way, so I uh, really appreciate you joining the show, so good to see you, Mel. Jamie, thank you for having me. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So we go we go way back, although we, we haven't done a lot of work together, but uh, we certainly have known each other a long time. Um, you know, I, I, I used to be in the consulting world. I understand the challenges of that. And, and so that's obviously what your firm does now. Um, tell me a bit about, you know, how you how, how do you engage with clients and understanding their problem and understanding your role in solving their problems? Yeah, that's a good question, Jamie. So, you know, normally it starts off with an initial uh, potential client reach out, outreach to us, explaining what their problem is. And for us, there's kind of two phases to this. Phase one is the person who's actually calling us asking um, for some help. So this might be um, a COO of a manufacturing company or a plant manager, someone in the in the higher C-suite area because they have full control of mm -hmm. all the subject matter experts involved with the problem. Mm -hmm. So we start with them. Um, basically what the simple question is, is what, what caused you to call us today? And many of the problems that we solve um, are manufacturing efficiency related. So our clients make things. Um, we started off with just automotive and now probably the automotive sector is probably only 10% of where we focus. So we've actually been able to, to branch out into other industries such as chemicals. Um, we have a client that makes toys for dogs and cats and flooring and kitchen cabinets and steel coils. So, you know, I went from automotive to beyond automotive. Mm -hmm. So yeah. step one is understanding from them, you know, what is the problem that they're trying to solve? And really, it'd be nice if, you know, potential clients could just hand you a scope of work and say, this is, you know, what I'm trying to solve here. It's just a series of interviews. It starts with their first call. And we just ask questions around, you know, what's the problem we're trying to solve in our industry and, and, and the work streams that we focus on. It's mostly shop floor efficiency things such as, you know, scrap, low pieces per labor hour, um, a lot of expedites, meaning extra shipments from our client's facility to the customer, just taking out excessive cost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, once we, sorry, go ahead. Uh, keep, keep going. Keep going. No. So once we, you know, get an initial conversation, you know, we just start putting together a scope of work and, you know, try to tell the client what we heard them tell us and, and just verify, did we hear what you said? Um, and then that's the beginning. You know, we have a one pager that that kind of outlines what the client believes the problem is. Um, us understanding it allows us to put together an approach, a scope. You know, what's our first step? You know, how how do we assess this problem properly? How do we get to learn the problem and feel the problem from the point of view of the client? Right. So, because a lot of our things are manufacturing based, we actually go to the shop floor and talk to the operators and supervisors and everyone that's engaged with this problem to kind of feel the pain that everyone feels because an operator who's operating a piece of machinery 
feels a different portion of the problem than maybe the supervisor. Okay. And the supervisor in the shipping and receiving dock who's you know dealing with loading the trucks on time feels a different part of the problem than the operator on the shop floor. So just getting first-hand understanding from the subject matter experts on what the problem is and what can we do to fix it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a, it makes a ton of sense. And, and so, you know, I've always argued that getting the problem statement right is, is a lot harder than people think it is. And, and my real test for that, because everybody looks at the problem and go, oh, that's obvious. Can't everybody see it? But if you ask 10 people to, to not collaborate, write down the problem and then show their cards, you're going to get 10 different answers. Um, now, usually when I'm having that conversation, it's with people who are all in the same organization. You have that added, added complexity of coming in from the outside, right, and sort of the, the weight of a... Uh, of an engagement uh, relationship behind it. So how do you approach the, 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 the fact that people see the problem differently and how do you bring that towards, you know, a common definition of what you're trying to solve? Yeah, that's a, a very good question as well. So it starts with um, the C-suite person who found the problem in their head and called us. So we interview them, we put it on paper, we type out what the problem statement is and we start putting some context around defining the problem. Mm -hmm. We get their buy-in and then in order to engage in any, um, with any client and the type of work we do, you know, we usually build a team around it. So, okay, we have the initial problem statement um, from the executive sponsor, I'll call it. And the executive sponsor wants to solve this problem. We've, We've listened to them, we put it on paper, they bought in, okay? So that's the first um, checkpoint. Then we start talking about, okay, what's the correct team makeup to solve this problem? So I'll just give an example. Let's just say we're not making enough pieces per hour on any line that makes any widget, right? right. We're, supposed to make, we're supposed to make 50 an hour, we're, we're making 30, All right? So we figure out, um, we define that and, I, and everyone understands it. Then we say, who needs to be on this team for us to properly assess the problem, identify potential root causes, do some testing around the root causes and actually prove what, what, the, what the potential root causes are and put some countermeasures in place. So after we have that initial agreement with the executive sponsor, we define that team. And then we typically have strategy sessions with that team from the very beginning, so they're involved. Because if you don't involve that team until until further down um, the process, they don't feel involved. Right. They don't feel like their voice was was heard. So it's very important to bring that, to identify that subject matter team and then involve them in the initial problem statement and scope that we've developed with the executive sponsor and let them give their feedback because Barely ever do we do this and everyone is nodding their heads. And if right. they are all nodding their heads, I sometimes don't believe it because there's always going to be something that someone needs to say to, to put their stamp on it. Mm -hmm. So we've got to cultivate a very good two-way conversation when we pull this subject matter team in to make sure they agree with how it was scoped. And they never do 100%. And that's right. good because when we tweak it, now we make it part of, now they're part of the solution. 
Because as a consultant, you have to remember, even though we're a hands-on consultant team, we can't make decisions and solve problems without a cross-functional team, right? Right. We need the team that runs the business. Absolutely. So, so in that example of the pieces per labor hour, you know, natural team members are operators who are operating the equipment, team leaders and supervisors, plant managers, quality managers, any stakeholder that really affects the problem that we're trying to solve, such as pieces per labor hour. Right. Like so, so one. yeah, what I love about that, you know, especially the, the, the problem statements are, are nice and crisp, like we're here, we need to be there, we're at 10, we need to be at 15. Those are, those are at the surface, they began very, very clear and crisp. Um, and you bring in, you sort of invite in the conflict very early to make sure that you do get that alignment much better than finding out down the road that you don't have it. And so, so, so that really brings me to the idea of collaboration. So not only do you need that team to collaborate with you, but you also need them to collaborate with each other. And, you know, as we know, in, in, any, in any organization and, and operations being one of them, they're, they're not always going to be on the same page working together. And either way, you need not just your collaboration, but their collaboration to make that work. So how do you, how do you approach building the right collaboration, whether it's process or skill or culture? How does that work with you? Well, so we start with that initial executive sponsor and definition. We, we call the subject matter team um, together and we, and we discuss it. And many a times the best place for us to really start it is go to the shop floor and really take a look and see the problem, right? Witness the manufacturing floor, taking a look at maybe, you know, why are we missing our target, right? Collaborate, you almost need to rediscover the problem together and see it firsthand. Because a lot of people that would be potentially on this subject matter expert team to solve the problem have been dealing with the problem for, if not months, years. And because they've been dealing with that problem for so long, they almost don't recognize it as a problem. Because mm-hmm. a problem really doesn't stick its head out as a problem if it's always there. It, right. it becomes un, a norm, something that's that you expect. So it's just rediscovering on the shop floor to see, okay, yeah, you know, this this machine does have a lot of downtime. Or the operator cycle time is starving or blocking a piece of machinery. So to get the collaboration going, we just try to go and rediscover with the team what's clear that everyone sees it. Um, Seeing the problem is sometimes more difficult for us to get people to see the problem than it is to solve the problem. Yeah. But I I, I love that, right? Because you're inviting them to discover it again. Right. And, and, and so if you don't get that, if you don't get that, they see it a pro- the problem, they can observe it, they can understand it, and they can call it a problem. How are you going to go forward? So uh, I, I really appreciate that that's almost harder than solving it is getting everybody to, to see it in the same way. Uh, it just certainly reminds me of the, the John Dewey quote is a problem well defined is a problem half solved is, you know, hey, if, it's, if you don't even see it as a problem, um, you know, then, then how are you going to go forward, right? And, 
And, and so, you know, whether it's, uh, and this is true for us as individuals too, right? It doesn't matter if it's smoking or obesity or, you know, we're, we're, we, we're, we're too busy and complain about it, but, but we have to see the problem and, and identify this problem before we can take any, any next steps. So I, I, I love that, that idea of inviting people in to discover the problem again. That's, that's pretty powerful. And you're right. If, if one doesn't really understand in their head that there's a problem, then there will be no action to change it. Yeah. Right. It'll just be status quo. Yeah. So as you, as you get into that, as you know, as well as anybody, manufacturing is extremely complex and, and, and there's lots of things that contribute to, to outcomes. So, you know, you get into something and if it's big enough of a gap that they're, they're calling for help, there's, there's gonna be a whole bunch of stuff that you can go do, both in terms of problems, but also in terms of solutions, right? Capital is a different solution than, than, than a, you know, reducing a defect than is uh, streamlining the schedule. So, so how do you go about that prioritization, whether it's the, the causes or the solutions or the problem statements themselves, Prioritization is, is is not an easy task. You have finite resources to work with. How do you how do you approach getting to the right stuff? Yeah, so you know, another great question about just attack attacking that portion the right way is what we do is we start with a brainstorming session on you know defining the problem and then understanding what because many times when you look at it, there's more than one problem, right? So I think that's, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. So we'll, we'll start with one problem statement, but then we'll see that there might be several problems that are contributing to the undesired condition. So what we simply do is we simply talk through each one of the problems, or if it's one problem and we're trying to talk through potential um, solutions to the problem, we prioritize it based on what is the effort to solve the problem? Mm -hmm. And then what is the benefit? And when we talk about what counts as effort and benefit, right? Of course, it's people's time, mm -hmm. it's capital expense, it's um, negative cost drivers like scrap, overtime, rework. Yeah. So we try to put some sort of a quantitative measurement around each one of the problems that the team can walk away and say, okay, we identified 10 problems, for example. We now forced rank them one through 10 based on what we believe the pain is. So we put some sort of number on the pain mm -hmm. and then we put some sort of number on the solution. And it can be dollars for investment or it can be simply, hey, we need a cross-functional team for six weeks. Yep. Each person needs to spend an hour. We calculate the effort. Um, and then we just knock down, we start with the top three. Um, we're pretty focused on only focusing on three items at once because right. we've seen that when we focus on more than three, every one of them get halfway done Yep. and we don't really solve one. So, and some of our clients push back on that. They're like, oh, we don't want to only do three. And I assure them, listen, it's just a parking lot, right? Sure. Let's agree on one, two, three. Four through 10 are in the parking lot. As soon as we solve either one, two, or three, number four is going to come back up. And that makes them feel more comfortable that we're not just looking at three. 
-hmm. but we're protecting our brain from seeing the endless tasks to do by looking at all 10 at once. We're just trying to, you know, eat the elephant one bite at a time. Yeah, I think the, you know, the two nuggets there that I, I think are, are not as common as they should be. One is the, the idea of looking at benefit against effort, as you said, and lots of ways to measure effort. But, you know, people just look at what's the biggest problem and then they just go after it. But it might not be the, the best one to work on where that effort is a great uh, a denominator to, to look at uh, the productivity of your problem solving. And, and, you know, as you said, the three at once, you know, no more than three, that's sort of your whip limit. Because um, there are only so many hours in the day and there's only so many brain waves in our attention span to, to, to put. So much better to get three done than six halfway done uh, is, is really well said. So uh, appreciate that. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of times um, we end up choosing problems that, aren't necessarily the biggest ones. They're quick wins. Yeah. Just to prove to the team, because we're remember, we're assembling this cross-functional team, and they probably tried to solve this problem several times in the past, and we were unsuccessful solving it. So we're trying to, you know, get some quick wins so the team sees, okay, this is different this time. Yeah. And we're actually going to make a change. So the initial selection of the problems are usually low-hanging fruit that may not have the biggest impact. But it's measurable. It's measurable enough to to make progress, but it's a quick win where we can get it done within a day or two and just yeah. prove to the team that, you know what, we're serious, that we're going to make an impact. Yeah, I love that. It's, you know, you build confidence, right, by getting something done and, and then you build momentum out of that confidence. So I, I, I think um, I, I love it when people end up working on something that maybe surprised them that it's not what they were expecting to be working on. Let me ask you one last question. Um, you know, just around how you how you change your approach, change your tools, change your methods of problem solving over time. Because I imagine, a, you know, you learn new new capabilities and can bring them in. But but also, b, manufacturing's changed quite a bit over the last twenty years. You know, we have more data than we've ever had before, for example, and and uh, and there's more product changes than there probably ever was. So. How do you how do you keep your approach to problem solving fresh? Yeah, so you're right. You know, there has been a lot of changes in the last 20 years, and we do most of the time, you know, have a lot of data to help us. So what we do to keep a, a fresh approach, you know, we always keep the same type of problem solving methodology, but it's all about how much information or historical data that is either available or not available with the client that will be able to let us put more granularity around the problem. Yeah. Some of our clients have great um, historical data on some of the KPIs in the factory mm -hmm. and we can easily set a baseline because one of the big things that we need to do at the beginning is set a baseline. Okay. We, we have a problem statement, but we're trying to, we're trying to fix pieces per labor hour. What is our baseline over the last three or six months? Some clients can tell us that very quickly. Some clients don't know. Mm -hmm. So then we have to you know, start a measurement system manually as part of the project kickoff. Yeah. So I think every situation is a little bit different, but 
in order to keep fresh approaches is, you know, now that data has been available now more than times in the past, we try to use the data to help lead us towards root causes and help us value the potential benefit yeah. of the project. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, well, we'll link to your organization in the show notes if, if people want to want to find you. But uh, uh, Mel, you've been in a lot of different sites. Uh, you've worked on a lot of different manufacturing problems, and we really appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your perspective. Yeah, thank you for having us on, and hopefully we get to see you again soon. Fantastic. Thanks for listening to the People Solve Problems podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. Visit jflinch.com for more episodes and other content. And continue to join us on your podcast app, of course. We greatly appreciate your feedback through reviews and ratings. Consider expanding your understanding of problem solving with Jamie's book, People Solve Problems, The Power of Every Person, Every Day, Every Problem. Available on Amazon. Until next time, keep learning, innovating, and solving problems.